But as we've come to the end, and I want to just share with you a couple of passages that have been formational for me over the last, I guess, for the entirety of my life. But these are the Bible verses that if this was the last sermon I was ever going to preach anywhere, these are the passages that I would want to convey and share to you all. So if you will, I invite you to pray with me as we, as we get started in the teaching. Heavenly Father, you've brought us all here this morning for your purpose and with your intention. And so, Father, now I ask that as we share these last words together, that you would do what you do with your spirit and in us, so that you would teach us what you want us to know, and that you would use these words as a fuel and soil for our transformation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open to Psalm chapter 18. Psalm chapter 18, and my Bible says this, this is, and this is the introduction so that you know the context of what's happening here. It says, a Psalm of David, King David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord. So this is David writing a song to God on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So this is a song that David writes as a response to literally someone trying to kill him. This is a song that David writes as a response to him going through difficult moments in his life, suffering and pain and fear and sleepless nights, and he was on the run. So if you could imagine, literally, the worst possible things happening, and this is the psalm that David writes. I'm not going to read all of it, but we're going to start in verse 1. David writes, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, and the torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. And listen to what he says. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Pause. The worst possible moments of David's life. Probably there was other terrible moments that happened after this, but up until this point, he was literally running for his life. Uncertainty was before him, and David says, I cried unto the Lord, and the, and the Lord heard my voice, and my cry reached up for him. You see, it's, this is really a passage for every single one of us who is here this morning that when the difficult and painful and suffering moments in your life, when things are difficult and you feel like they can't get any worse, we know and we can claim the promise of Psalm that when you cry out to the Lord, God will hear you. Verse 18, when they confronted me in the day of my calamity, the Lord was my support. And listen to this. He, God, brought me out into a broad place. Some Bible translations call it a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And I want to pause there. The Lord brought David into this broad place. 
which is whenever we hear something like this, we kind of think about this and we have to ask ourselves, well, what could the Bible writers mean about this broad or this spacious place? And it is a, it is a real but also a symbolic and metaphorical way of saying that God brings David into this place of safety, this place of refuge, this place of support, this place where no matter what David was going through, God was bringing him into this broad place. And I have no doubt that whoever God brings here after me will lead this church into that next broad place, this next spacious place that God wants for the Orange Seventh-day Adventist Church. If I'm leaving, it's not because we were unhappy, but because we've sensed that God was calling us somewhere else. But guess what? Somewhere, someone is sensing that God is calling them somewhere else. And over the next few months, you all will together discern who that person that God has been calling. God's already chosen that person to come here. It's just up to you guys to go through that process to be able to say God is bringing us into this next place, this promised land. Now, I know right after I leave, Pastor Ernie Furness, who did our prayer of dedication, will be here as your interim pastor. So you guys will have a really great, like, solid biblical preacher and an all-around nice guy and humble guy. But you guys will have a great person before that next person comes. But God is bringing this church into that broad place, that place that God already has planned for your life. And this isn't just about a church, but this is about your own circumstance. You may be going through something in your life right now that you may just feel like things, there's no way things could get any better than they are. And you end up feeling like your back is against the wall, but we know from Scripture and from this promise in the Bible that God is bringing you from that calamity and he is going to bring you into a place that is safe. You can take your refuge in God. And so I want to share with you a story that I think I've shared this once, maybe twice here, but it has been foundational for my understanding of how things work. And so it's a parable. There was once a farmer who owned a horse, and he had one son. One day his horse ran away, and the neighbors came to him and they said to him, oh, poor man, your horse ran away. How are you ever going to work your fields now? And the farmer replied, good thing bad thing, who knows. But then a few days later, this horse that ran away came back and he brought another horse with him. And now the neighbors came over and they rejoiced with him and they said, oh, look at what amazing luck you have. Now you have two horses. You can do twice as much work on your fields. You will, it will yield a great profit. And the man said, good thing, bad thing, who knows. But then the next day, when the farmer's son was on the horse, working the horse, the son broke his leg. And then the neighbors, of course, like they always do, they come over concerned, and they said, he is now incapacitated. Your son will never be able to help you work the fields. You might starve to death. This is terrible. And the farmer replied, good thing, bad thing, who knows. But soon thereafter, war broke out in all the land, and all the young men were required to join the army. The villagers were all sad because now their sons had to go off to fight this war. But because the, sons, because the farmer's son had broken his leg, he couldn't go. The, the neighbors were envious and they said, you are so lucky, you are so fortunate your son broke his leg because now you will get to keep your only son. And the farmer replied, good thing, bad thing, who knows. You know, in our lives... 
You don't get to control anything that happens for the majority of the time. I mean, like, you, you don't always get to control your circumstances. You don't always get to control how people are going to treat you or how, if they're going to say something behind your back or if people are going to be unkind to you. You can never control anyone else. But the one thing that you do have control over is whether you will remain faithful and keep your eyes on Christ. So when you come into this broad place that God is bringing you into, it's like the story of this farmer We can assign so much emotion and feeling to the circumstances in our lives, but the reality is that circumstances will happen. We live in a world where we know that nothing will be perfect. We live in a world where we know that there will be pain and suffering. I don't have to tell you that because you've experienced it, and some of you are experiencing that now. But like this farmer, he always had the choice on whether he would, and and I'm going to put this into the story because it wasn't there. But we could be like this farmer and we can keep on our, our eyes on Jesus. And what that means is that we hold on to hope. Is that wherever you are in control of doing something, you can always act with graciousness, with compassion, with generosity, with faith, and believing that you will be being brought into this next broad and spacious promised land that God is bringing you into. And so you can't control things. David couldn't control the fact that somebody wanted to kill him, but he kept his faith in God. And when you keep your eyes on God, I want to read in Psalm 37, Psalm 37, verse 7 through 9. I just want you to think about what God does for us. Verse 30, Psalm 37, 7 through 9. That's not the right one. I don't know, I, I wrote the wrong one down, but I have it written in my notes, so I'll read it to you from here. Here's what it says, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And now listen to this. As sons and daughters of God, the promise is this, that you can feast on the abundance of the house of God. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. I'm going to read that one more time. You feast on the abundance of your house, and you give us drink from the river of your delight. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. So much of the world, so much of the life that we get to live is about what kind of perspective and the perception that we take on things in our life. Like that farmer, he chose not to see those terrible things or the good things as good or bad, but just as a matter of fact of how life is. But his perception was always one of openness. You see, when Jesus says that you have come to have life and have, that he came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, what Jesus was really saying is that he wanted you to live in this place of abundance. And, and, and it's not about material possessions or a lot of money in your bank account or these big paychecks that come because of your work. But abundance is a mindset that everything around you you see, you can experience and appreciate the goodness of it. You know, we live in a society of scarcity, where we think like we need more, we don't have enough, there's not enough money to pay the bills, there's not enough gas in our car, we don't have the nicest or the newest. We always want something more. But if you have ever stopped and learned to see things in a different perspective, we begin to realize that we actually have a lot more than we think. So the other day, and and this is something that Kara and I used to practice, and 
I think we've gotten away from practicing it, but we would often set a timer for seven minutes, and we would then, for seven minutes, each one would alternate and say something that we are grateful for. I mean, it could be something as simple as we're, we're grateful for fingernails. I mean, it gets really mundane after a while. And we got away from that just because of life and baby, and I don't know why. So the other day when I was preparing the bath for the baby, I remember, you know, we use these little cups to fill up a bigger, a bigger little tub that we have for her. And I remember as I was pouring the water in, and I I was realizing within myself that I was going into that scarcity mindset where it's like, I want a little more. And I paused because I was reminded that there's so much for us that we can be thankful for. And so I remember as the water was being filled up into that cup, I remembered, like, I am so grateful that we have clean water to bathe our daughter with. Like, I am thankful that we have a tub. Well, we don't have a tub, but there's a baby tub that we have. that we can, we can bathe our daughter in clean water. And then all of a sudden, I started thinking about all of the things that I was thankful for, and I realized that the things I thought I wanted weren't all that important because what I already had was an abundance of blessing. So when Scripture teaches us that you get to feast on the abundance of God's house, God has already given you an abundance. You may want more, but if you take a step back and just realize how grateful you can be for everything that you have, you begin to realize that you are wealthier than you imagined. I want to do one verse and then one last one. I want to read from Colossians that Josiah read for us. As we think of this broad place where God is bringing you into, this abundance that God is giving to you, Colossians chapter 1 says this, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, which is a way of saying that Jesus was there before everything existed. And for by him, in Jesus, all things were created on heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, for him. And Jesus is before all things, And in him, all things hold together. He is before all things. And oftentimes we we think like, well, theologically, Jesus was there at the creation of the world and all of that is true and we believe all of that. But somehow there's something that we get disconnected because we're like, well, we weren't there thousands of years ago. So I want to invite you to look at this passage in a new way. I want you to ask yourself, is Jesus before all things in your life. We know that he was there at the beginning. We know that it is through Jesus that all things were created, but is Jesus before all things in your life? And what that means is, is have you surrendered your life in such a way that everything you do, that Jesus is Lord of your life, how you treat your wife, how you treat your husband, how you treat your neighbor, how you treat people that believe differently than you or look differently than you, do you treat them as Jesus would have treated them? Do you love like Jesus would have loved? Do you forgive as Jesus would have forgiven? Is Jesus before all things? And I want to just leave you with this, that, and and, and we're all in different places in our lives, but if you can make Jesus the highest ideal for your life and follow in his footsteps, you will not be disappointed by where God will take you. It may be hard at times to forgive those who have hurt you, It may be hard for you to accept where God is asking you to go, 
but we know that the best possible way to live is one where we live in full surrender to the call and to the, and to the wishes of the God who knows how everything works and the one who holds all things together. And so I want to leave you with that. Is Jesus before all things in your life? Because if he is, we know that he will hold all things in your life. And so I want to leave you with those thoughts. And, and before the service is over, I'll come up and, and share a few more words um, just kind of from the heart. But I just want to leave you with this. Regardless of the life and things that happen around you, you always have the capacity to choose to keep your eyes on the God who holds all things together. And good things will happen and bad things will happen. But in the end, God holds all things together.